0: are y'all all right right, if you got a bible well we know Willie's okay the rest of you I guess it's still up in the air we got Medea up in the house too Um, if you got a bible Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be at this morning again welcome glad you're here welcome online to those of you who are uh, watching us this morning Acts chapter 20, right after the Gospels, and uh, we've got just a little bit of work to do in this scripture. It's going to be an odd scripture to choose from, but I think it'll all make sense in the end, Lord willing. Hear the word of the Lord this morning, Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Now, being Paul here. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you, and the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and inflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, look what Paul does, and he shifts this farewell to them. Pay attention, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw you away, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and, and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him to a ship. It's the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for your word. And it is truth. Truth has come to sanctify us. I, I pray, God, that the words that I say um, will be pleasing and accepting to you, Lord. And that when I am done talking or yelling, people would remember you and not the crazy guy in front of them. May you be glorified, you be lifted up above all things in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Interesting text talking about the church as we have been doing since last week. What does this have to do with what the church looks like and continues to look like there's a biblical concept that I want to kind of present to you and try to tease out over the next 30 minutes if I can is it's the biblical idea of open hands open hands is is really found in the bible where in order for the gospel to continue to spread they had to have this idea of open hands Open hands is the idea that you do not own anything, nor do you own anyone. And I think we are getting the best display of this idea of biblical open hands to us this morning with Pastor Paul and the elders of Ephesus. How easy it would have been for them to have clenched their hands with Paul and say, No, you're not going always been a good time with you here man but in order for them in order for the gospel to continue to multiply and to grow and for the kingdom of god to go and grow throughout the regions they had this right understanding that they had to have open hands no matter how hard it stung or no matter how hard it was for them emotionally open hands And we know the rest. This is really like the the latter part of Acts, the last third part of the book of Acts, where Paul's right. It don't go well for him. Goes off and gets thrown in jail a couple times. Ends up being martyred at the hands of Nero. So when Paul is saying, look, y'all, some bad things about to happen, he wasn't talking about he may be bouncing a check or something. He wasn't talking about somebody was going to slap him up on the side of the head. Like No, literally, suffering and punishment was awaiting him, and he realized it. And I can't help but to think that here's Paul in this moment who could have easily have said, not today, God, I don't want want what's laid out before me. And it could have been easy for these elders who were incredibly close to Paul for them to have clenched their hands. And you know what happens when you clench your your fist towards God, right? You you create an idol. What is this message of open hands and these 20-something verses we just read? What is is Paul trying to communicate to the church with this idea of open hands? hands if you'll notice the first couple of verses verses 18 through 21 what does Paul do he reflects he reflects on all that God has done through his ministry with these elders how he has spent his time with them was it disappointing was, was it wasting away with booze partying no it's it's this image of a father we get where he's with his children and he's he's, he's reminding them and he's and he's reflecting upon like look what like look i've laid my life out on the line with you guys i've i've spent time day night weeping with you guys like like proclaiming the gospel and the truth of god's grace Paul could have spent his time reflecting on Paul pre Christ. He could have spent the time, like, yeah, y'all remember that time that I had um, all them Christians killed? Crazy. He could, if, you, if you've read Acts, you know in chapter 19, he could have been reflecting on, you yeah, y'all remember that riot? That was crazy. But what does he do? He reflects on the good things that God has done through him. Amen. I wonder how many of us spend our lives, like, especially when like, we're maybe in a transition with a job or whatever you find yourself in, in life, going to school. Like, like when you start to reflect, like, do, do you reflect on like, all the bad things, all the regrets? Hey, I just challenge you to focus on the times where you spread the gospel. And if, you, if that's not your story, then begin to write that part of your story now. Because one day you'll be in a transition. I mean, it may be your deathbed. It may be in a job or or whatever, a move, whatever it looks like. I would hope that when you began that transition in your life, you could be like Paul here, who sets this example. Y'all remember that time where all those people were baptized at refuge, and those those people were continuing to... uh, be brought into salvation and you remember the re- relationships that were reconciled you remember how how God has just been moving i could spend my life past 10 years of ministry doing a lot of reflection as the pastor here and sure i can sure i can think of some regrets Sure, I can think of some times where it was hurtful, where I didn't know what was going to happen next, but I'm going to choose to reflect on the faithfulness of God. Look what else Paul does in this this text where he, he starts to kind of paint this sad reality of what's happening to him. Verses 22 through 27, you get this glimpse of I don't know if it's outside to, to say, Paul's nervous here. These elders, I, I don't know if it would be off to say that, man, they've they got a challenge in front of them. And, it, and, and you read this, this end of it, when they just begin to sob, kiss on him. Awkward, I guess, I don't know. But you get this sense that this is a difficult thing, and so Paul says something that I find interesting. He says... I've been constrained by the Spirit. Have you ever been constrained? Some of you are like, yeah, by the law. I mean, not that kind of constrained, but like this feeling of constrained by the Spirit. Look what Paul says in 24. I just got to read this verse. But I do not account my life of any value nor of precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in ministry. This is, this is Paul's language throughout the New Testament. That I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. Paul is saying, look, I don't care if I end up in jail. I have to go. What's being communicated here? Listen, and, and don't miss this, that obedience is always better than preferences. Don't miss that, church. Obedience is always greater than preferences. Because I look at this, and I would prefer Paul to stay. Surely that's in them. Surely that's not far off to say that that's their preference. But they didn't have to understand what Paul was doing. They just had to know this is the Spirit of God. He's calling me to be obedient. I have to do this. Because obedience trumps preferences. Preferences. I've seen churches and I've been a part where, where preferences trumped obedience. May, not, may that not be the story of us. We have to obey. When God leads us to do something. so, so uh, zoom out from, uh, as a church, when God calls us to do something, we have to obey. It, with open hands. When, when God, when we zoom in a little bit uh, on a micro level in your personal life, when God leads you to do something, you have to do it. Because obedience is better and greater than preferences, and you have to do it with an open hand. And when God calls me to do something, I have to do it. And yes, it's going to sting, but I have to do it. I'll circle back to that constraining in just a minute. Paul says here, this third thing that's being communicated here, what does Paul say? Be on guard. Watch what he does here. In one verse he says, be on guard from those who are outside because they'll come in like ravaged wolves and try to lead all of you astray. But watch what he says. He just doesn't point look at all them jokers trying to come up in here what we got Then he brings it internally there will also be some of you among this church Ephesus who will, who will sway and who will veer off of the mission the vision, this gospel of grace be, be careful of those people Paul's warning them and he's pleading to these Ephesian leaders, be on the lookout Be on the guard for this. Guard what's happening here. Guard what's happening for the church of Ephesus. I gotta warn you. Could that not be said of us also? There's a danger that's in front of every church. And some churches have already fallen into it. But there's a danger for us The danger to grow cold and stale. The danger for us just to be so inwardly focused that we forget about the hurting community around us. There's that same damage for us, danger for us. There's a danger for us to forget about first things. It's a danger for you. It's a danger for me. That's why we need godly leadership. This is why Paul is looking at these Ephesus can, can use this word elders can be s- synonymously used with pastor and he's looking at these leaders he's like guard them make sure you protect what God is doing here Amen. Amen. protect the gospel of grace because it could happen to us okay. we can grow all together and we can forget about first things. We can forget about the community around us that's hurting. And here they are at this crossroads, knowing that this was painful, but it was a part of the process. And Paul wants them to appreciate all that God has done for them. And, then he, and he wants them to know that obedience is better. In their preferences. Amen. Where's God leading us that requires us to have open hands?
1: Yeah.
0: Where's God leading you that's going to require you to open your hand and say, okay, God, I'm not going to clench my fist on this. This is, this is yours. Parents, one day it's going to happen to you. One day I'm going to have to i open my, my hands and when my children move away. Hopefully, they'll move away. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> but your mom and daddy need their time alone. But one day I'll be, and some of you parents have already had to do that. Have you ever had those constraints? I want to circle back to that idea of being constrained by the Spirit. <laughs> I, I've had three times in my life this is story time with Matthew by the way, just in case. I've had three times in my life, I've, I've just kind of been looking over my life and where, where I've been constrained by the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit just stopped me dead in my tracks. He called me to do something. One of those times I was in 2001 it was right before 9-11 and It was on a trip to Haiti to do a medical mission trip with a team, and I was probably floundering in my faith, goofing off with it. I mean, I was 19. But yeah, let's go to Haiti. Sounds fun. It's not. The name is synonymous to Hades for a reason. It's a dark, demonic place to where we stepped off of the airplane, there's someone meditating with their eyes rolled back behind their head, where you, where you, where you hike up the mountain to go camp, and in, off the distance, you hear people with their incantations and witchcraft. It's a dark place. It's also a beautiful place in some sense. Where there actually was a few churches in Haiti And I remember going by boat to a church Y'all I didn't remember Anything that they said Just sound like tongues of fire Right I mean these people were speaking in their creole And I was like Okay didn't know anything that was happening But then suddenly We took communion And the spirit of God Constrained me I didn't know what was going on But all of a sudden, all I could do was just, like, fall on my knees and sob. And in that moment, God was calling me. He constrained me. He took me, and he said, I'm not letting you go. I'm calling you for my purpose. I didn't know what that meant. I just know in the darkest place on earth, I would just suggest... The spirit of the living God jumped down in that room and he constrained me. I had no idea what that looked like. I fast forward, I got married. And I was like, hey, there's a good idea. I'll go spend millions of dollars at LaGrange College and get a meaningless bachelor's degree in music. All my music grads can relate. How's that? Okay. I was like, that's a good idea. Me and one of my friends said, we'll go and get a music degree. That'll make everyone so proud. And I have a useless amount of knowledge of music that I do not use, and I will probably never use I had one of those constrained by the spirit moments. I, I, so I had this idea, I'll go into mu- the music industry, right? They will love me, right? I mean, who's not going to love this, right? Like, <laughs> like, I've got so much to offer, it's going to be great. Until I went to an internship at a music production place in Atlanta, and I Left that building and I thought, "What?" And the explicit word was that. <laughs> I felt like a failure. Okay. I got in my little Toyota and I was headed home on I-85, and the spirit of God constrained me. Amen. It was almost like I was like, what are you, what are you doing?" like you buffoon, if you would have asked me, I would have told you the music degree was a waste of your money but as I passed LaGrange and was entering West Point there was that constrained by the spirit moment and I had this really silly idea, gee I'll plant a church As a result of those two constraining by the Spirit moments, God began to set me on a trajectory that that I'm his. And I have to I have to be honest with you, like there were moments where this was my position towards that. Oh thanks, God, I'll never make money. There goes that idea. You know, really West Point. I throw a rock out my window and hit a church. <laughs> and yeah, it didn't make sense at the time. Then I had another one of those constraining by the Spirit moments in my life. And this one was very difficult, if I can be honest and open. In fact, this is very um, a vulnerable moment for me. I, I went out west. and Good Lord, it was wonderful out west for the first time to Colorado and I'm, we officiated who just so happens to be here Casey and Ted's wedding and, and then a friend said hey you want to go to Vegas I was like yeah, sure preacher in Vegas what can go wrong <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't the reason why we went but just to kind of get away and Refocus I, I went to we, we drove up north out of Vegas On I think it's Interstate 15 And we ended up In St. George St. George's southwest Utah And we had Some questionable Looking restaurant But it was Indian food and it was fantastic And afterwards we drove around St. George a little bit because As you know Zion National Park It's right beside St. George, which is Zion, in a sense. And we drove up to this towering, beautiful, Mormon temple. And all I could think was, these masses of people are walking in there. And I thought, they're walking into a building that's on fire. And no, who's, where's... What are we going to do? In the spirit of God, <sighs> he constrained me. I've, I've wrestled with this constraining moment because I've been holding you in my fist. I struggled I fought, and I said, "God, no. I have family here. This is my life. Like, who do you think you are trying to tell me what to do, God?" It was my disposition. And I fought. But Marin and I knew, for the past four years that the king... Was reassigning us, and we wrestled, we fought. Along the way would be churches. Hey, come pastor! No, you know when the Bush and McGinnis family went out there. Part of me felt like, what, what, what are you doing, God? to send them and they decided to plant a church in a basement I knew that I had been constrained to go plant that church I don't know when I, I just I know that there have been three times in my life that the Spirit of God constrained me. And this time I have to open up my hands. You have, you have an opportunity. You can open your hand and say, God, this is this is your church. If you, if you look at the, the ten years of our church, if you look at the paper look at it on paper you you probably have some questions like eh I don't know this is going to work out but when I look at and when I reflect on the last 10 years I see a God who's been faithful I, I see a God who has taken this moron moved him out of the way And do incredible things through you. This has never been me. Or you can clench your fist and say, I want no part of this. The Spirit of God, He has constrained me. and I must go, I don't want to. I don't know when. Nobody's kicking me out tomorrow, so there's that. But the next few months, that's a question for you. Are your hands gonna be open or are they gonna be clenched? I plead. I would plead with you that your hands be open and, and available. I've struggled with this because you know, if you're disappointing and if family Murda's an only child, her parents are Seventy. And we have fought about this, but the spirit's constrained us. Grab somebody's microphone around here. <laughs>
1: Let me uh, let me get Ben and and Aaron uh, and Keith and, and Jerry to step up here with me. So um, I, I bring these guys up. We didn't know that this was uh, what was gonna happen. You know, let me go ahead and say I. And I've told God this, uh, so He's not gonna be surprised. I think this sucks. I'm not. Uh, I, I said it yesterday, if I was writing the story, this chapter's not in it. Um, but I don't want a thing to do with with disobedience. Um, and I recognize that the story we're a part of, it's just that. We're we're a part of it. And it's so much bigger um than we are. So before we knew this was where it was going we had sat down and said that expanding our elder board was something that, that we needed to do and we started to have conversations a lot of conversations um, these these men were the ones that we had them with and were in the the process of asking them uh, to step on and to serve as elders and they're part of this conversation I, I bring them up to to say some really simple things I wrestled with with what to say I'm just going to keep it as as short as I can we're committing to a few things with y'all one um, we don't know what the partnership with what God is doing uh, in in Utah is going to look like long term but we know in the short term in the medium term what we know is this that the throwers that the McGinnises, that the Bushes, these are people that poured their lives into us for, I mean, in my case, a decade, right? Um, and they helped to build a body that, if you look around us, ah, it's rare, um, it's a ton of people that, you know, it's astounding how many of us have kind of similar backgrounds, like we'd been in churches, and we've been hurt by them, and we weren't angry with God, but we knew that that wasn't what the church was supposed to be, and we knew that we looked around our community, we knew that that's not, that's not what God had for it. Um, and yeah, these are the people that helped to build it, and we love them, and that's not going anywhere. We don't know what it looks like, but we know that we are a part of them, and they are a part of us. And that that isn't changing. Now, when we figure out what it looks like, as we're figuring that out, the other commitment that we make is that y'all are going to know that, you know, we'll, you're a part of it. The other thing we commit to is this that the term pastor and the term elder, like Matthew mentioned, are synonymous. Those are the same thing that when we ask these men to join on with us, they're and they, when, when we do that we're, they're accepting the role as a pastor and that the leadership of, of this body it's going to be okay Like we look at it and we feel really good about where we are again not what, not what we wanted if we were in charge but we don't want to be in charge we are um uh, i 'll just speak for me um, a little bit a little bit gutted by it, but I know that I 'm a very small part of what god 's up to. and if God raised up a congregation in West Point, and part of that purpose is Utah, I 'm good with that. But also know this, that the gospel and the mission to reconcile still takes place here. And that y'all are part of that. And that work isn't going anywhere. So what does it look like in Utah long term? I don't know. What does it look like in West Point long term? I don't know. What does it look like between Utah and West Point long term? Real shocker here. I don't know. (laughs) But I know that my God's plan is perfect. And I know I want to be a part of it.